I should not give him time to raise his gun to shoot. I should give him a surprise. So as soon as he opened the door, I, I lifted my cameras and I told him I'm, I'm a journalist. What's up, y'all? Today we're talking to Altaf Kadri. Altaf Kadri is a world-renowned photographer. He's won World Press Photo twice and uh, multiple Photographer of the Year awards, uh, amongst many other accolades. Altaf currently lives in Delhi and works for Associated Press. So Altaf, welcome to Beyond the News. Thank you, Danny, and, and thanks for having me. It's been a while since we last caught up, but why don't you uh, talk to me about what's going on in, uh, in Delhi, how's life changing right now with, uh, with coronavirus? Uh, it's been unprecedented. I mean, the virus thing has uh, turned our world upside down, but as photographers, we, we have to work and, 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 and we try to uh, cover as much as we can. Uh, at the same time, have to uh, Take take all the precautions we can, and 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 yeah, I mean, uh, it's been very very uh, tough to be out there because you know it's something like you can't see, and and when you you have an enemy which you can't see, it's more you know it's psychological kind of psychological warfare you you are dealing with actually, and 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 every everyone who you see. Is carrying a potential is a sure. potential threat, and I am potential threat for somebody else. So, so it's it's been unprecedented, uh, you know, this corona thing. It's it's like a it's a danger that you can't see. So you know you're somebody who goes all the time in in like dangerous places, people that many people wouldn't go to these places, and right now it's this corona is everywhere. And is it, is it different in like your, your, the way you gauge fear or crisis? Is it, do you place it higher or lower or somewhere completely different? As I said, it, it's unprecedented. We, we never had, you know, uh, we never were you know, kind of prepared for what we are witnessing right now. Whole world is literally you know, locked down. So, so it's, it's something which we never had expected to happen. And when you go out, you know, when you are in a conflict or a war zone, you know, you know, who to look for. I mean, there might be, uh, you know, bombs and rockets going on. But here, you know, everything seems quiet. It's fine. But, you know, that that thing which which is always on a mind that what if, this guy is infected. What if that thing is infected? What if my my equipment gets uh, you know um, has has virus? So it's the enemy is unseen here. You can't even realize if if you are infected. So it's totally different than than covering it doing this uh, you know dangerous situations in conflict or war. It's totally different. And and we are still trying to you know see how how we can deal with it. Uh, you know, uh, the only thing you can do is you know put your protective gear, mask, goggles, gloves, and and that's it. But but there are some you know some parts where you still can get it. But so far it has been I mean so far so good. We have been able to you know. Uh, who have been told, you know, 
your security is paramount. I mean, if you feel like going out, then only go out and with proper precautions. If you don't feel like going out, then we we understand. I mean, so there is no there is no pressure from the organization. So so it's all it's all cool there. Cool. Good. Good. Yeah, I mean about the gear. Actually, I was just I was talking to Raul just now. And, you know, how he's working in Spain even, and he was saying that, like, you know, even to put, like, a lapel mic on somebody to record audio is a danger because even if he doesn't know, maybe maybe he has it. And if he puts the mic, then he gives it to them. Or if then they are on the mic, then what about the next person that puts on the mic? <laughs> yeah, you know? it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so, yeah, as we were talking before, you know, I kind of also wanted to do this for... Um, for people who want to get into journalism, into photojournalism, and uh, just hear from, you know, people who have really been doing the work and who are really in the field and and can give any sort of advice. So, maybe a bit of your of your background story and how you got involved into photojournalism and your path. Uh, it it goes back uh, uh, to around 1996. Uh, you know, when I was a teenager uh, in Kashmir, my home hometown. I was taken as a uh, human shield by the Indian Border Security Force personnel when they got attacked. Um, uh, so, I mean, at that point of time, I thought, you know, what if I had some some camera or some recording which I could, you know, share with the world what's happening in Kashmir. But, my, you know, eventually my family was so scared that they sent me to uh, Calcutta. Uh, and and where I did my initial computer uh, courses. When I got back, uh, I started working with a, um, a local newspaper, Urdu newspaper, uh, as a DTP operator. You know, I used to publish, uh, you know, the the newspaper in Urdu software, which was which was really new in those days. And then, you know, I I. I saw how how uh, journalism and journalists work in Kashmir in conflict, and I got I got really interested, you know, in in journalism and in photojournalism uh, especially. So I I started uh, thinking about you know doing photojournalism, but I was already in you know computers and all that, and then I was working in this multinational company, uh, which which closed its operations. Because of uh, 2000 uh, um, recession in year 2000, so I was I was kind of jobless, and then um, during those days I used to I used to chat with a friend, a Malaysian friend, um, uh, whom uh, you know, who was like uh, you know a friend, a sister, you know, kind of you know we used to share everything. So uh, when I was uh, left jobless, uh, you know, uh, and then I told her, look, you know, I, I don't have a job anymore. Uh, because, the, you know, that photojournalism thing was always on my mind. So I I casually asked her if she can find out how much would a camera cost in in, in Malaysia. Because I knew, you know, uh, electronic goods are cheaper outside than India, because in India, it, there are a lot of taxes involved. So uh, after a few days, she told me that this camera is for, uh, you know, this much of money and all that. Then I told her, 
I don't have money to buy. And all of a sudden she said, you know, I can send you the camera and then, you know, you can give me back money whenever you have. I said, I mean, you can't, you can't trust somebody you met online. I mean, I could be a crook or something. She said, well, I mean, if that is the case, you know, but I really want to try. So she was, so she wow. sent me the, the camera. It was Nikon uh, D65, a film camera. So while I was in Delhi, I started shooting, you know, as every amateur does, like shooting uh, gardens, uh, birds, flowers. And one, one night when I was, uh, you know, in my apartment, I heard this, uh, these sirens from the fire trucks going on and on and on. So I thought something big is happening. And I had four rolls of film with me and I followed the last truck, the fire truck, and I was soon in, in this industrial area where this chemical factory was on fire. Uh, so I started shooting right around 8.30 at night till around 5 a.m. I wasn't shooting with anybody. I, I thought, you know, let me see what happens. So in the morning I took, you know, I had some rest and, and at around 10, I went to process the film. I got the prints made and I went straight to a Times of India office, which is the biggest newspaper in India. And I wanted to see the, the photo chief. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, he wasn't there. So his deputy was there. And I spoke to him on, over the phone. He said, I'm coming down. I will have a look at the pictures. So he, he came down, he saw pictures. He said, yeah, they're okay. But the thing is, you know, we're a daily newspaper and this is yesterday's event and we can't show yesterday's incident into tomorrow's issue. So, so he said, you know, keep in touch and all that. When things didn't work in, in Delhi, I thought, let me move back uh, to Kashmir and see if, if anything happens, you know, if I can work. Now, since I had, I had worked with a newspaper earlier, so I had, you know, I knew some people who, who gave me a job of a photographer. Basically, almost for free, you know, I wasn't paid anything. I was paid like 1,000 rupees, which is roughly uh, $17 for a month. You know, I thought, you know, you know, I took it, it as an invest, investment in my career. So I thought, let me get in the, the loop and see how things work actually. And, and I started, you know, shooting everything from conflict, daily life in Kashmir. In February 2002, I got a call from, from this guy who, had, who I had met in, in, in terms of India office. And he said, I have, I've joined EPA as a India subcontinent chief. Would you like to work for us from Kashmir? I was like, yeah, why not? So I started work with, you know, working with EPA and which gave me a platform to showcase my work and, and rest, as they say, is history. So when you first get that call, is that like the the lottery up there, you know? Absolutely. Uh, more so like, you know, 
working with a wire agency and and being given every equipment to you for a person like you know who would get $17 a month it was something it was huge and and i think you know i did good uh, from the word go you know i put everything behind uh, i worked i worked hard i would i would shoot from morning until evening and things were not great in in kashmir back then you know every day you would have shooting incidents plus encounters protests so yeah so also just for uh for people who may not know can you explain like what the the wires are like epa and uh, ap writers what are what are these wires or wire services yeah agencies are like uh you know if i put it uh, in a layman's language it's a wholesale depot where you distribute news photos audios videos to subscribers the subscribers are the tv channels our newspapers our internet portals so we we uh the agencies have offices in every country almost in the world so so by subscribing uh to an agency you are subscribing photos from from every country it's not like a newspaper where you only have pictures from that particular country where you are based for agency if you have subscription you can get pictures and videos and news from across the globe it syndicates you know news and and like ap now puts out i think the number is every day more than a billion people are seeing images from the ap yes yeah right? yeah so i mean everywhere most of the time when you see these images across these platforms they're from the wire somebody yeah. on a wire has been making these images absolutely yeah so what have you said also then that uh that kashmir back then you know every day you have some conflict some shooting mm-hmm. so how does that prepare you or think differently even back to then corona right now with the coronavirus you know i mean even though if you're dealing with that stress in daily almost in a way in corona you're also dealing daily with oh am i going to get sick today or who knows you know but it's a totally yeah, different it's a, it's a totally different it's a mentality different, right different feeling yeah yeah it's a totally diff- different feeling uh, i wouldn't compare it with uh, you know violence and conflict you know if you stay home you probably are going to make it but if you venture out then you have to think about you know getting infected but in in conflict you may even get killed if you are home so so those those are the you know uh, differences you know so and how was how was life changing there in in delhi since the beginning of this thing till till now Uh, you know before corona hit uh, hit us uh, there was uh, we were just coming out from from a very horrible uh, riot situation in delhi so we were busy with right. the rioting and all that and 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 then we were only getting settled now and and we were uh, again on our toes because of corona 
So we have we have been uh, dealing with all sort of things here. Yeah. Did you, do you want to talk about what what, the, what were those riots about? It, it it started it started with uh, Hindu nationalist leaders. Basically, story goes back to a law which Indian Parliament passed recently, of which um, uh, citizenship law, which says uh, the refugees from from neighboring countries will be given uh, given citizenship in India to everyone except Muslims. It also says there is also another thing going on, which is called. CAA, Citizens uh, Amendment Act, which says, uh, you know, which asks every citizen of India to to prove their citizenship. So if if you are any anyone except Muslim, you will be granted citizenship. But if you are not a Muslim, you will be either thrown out or thrown in detention. So if you combine these two laws, it's going to be it's very problematic and it's very it's very discriminatory so muslims and and liberal hindus were were protesting about this law from the day it was enacted in parliament and then they were always right wing people saying you don't understand this and that and so one day there was this hindu right wing leader who who Went to a place of uh, a place of protest near a place of protest and said, if, uh, "Said to please, if you don't make these people go, we would do it ourselves." So next morning, when Donald Trump arrived in India, on the same morning, groups of uh, you know Hindu right wings attacked Muslim localities and and they burned. Uh, shops, houses, mosques, and attack people. Uh, around 50 odd people were killed, mostly of the Muslims, and 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 properties, both crores and crores, was uh, destroyed. So, so we're coming out from from that uh, from that conflict, and and we're barely. Uh, Getting settled when uh, Corona happened, and and during those kind of uh, like this kind of story, you know, you're you're, you're a bearded Muslim, so mm. do you ever does it make you feel more worried to be out there on this kind of story? Absolutely. I mean, for for first two or three days, my office didn't let me go there, and I I wouldn't go there because I would be a primary target. No matter I'm a journalist, it doesn't matter. There have been there were incidents when. Journalists, uh, you know, uh, Hindu journalists, uh, were asked to lower their pants to see if they were Muslims or Hindus, because Muslims have circumcision and and yeah, and Hindus don't do. So it was that bad. So for me, they don't even had to ask me to lower my pants. Sight sight was only, uh, you know, enough for them. It was really scary going out there and, and taking pictures. I actually avoided shooting for the first couple of days. Yeah, because I mean, you would think that um, conflict photography or conflict journalism, people always would consider it like happening 
over there somewhere in Middle East or something like that. But now this is happening in India too, or maybe you'll even be afraid in, 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 India, yeah. in where you call home right now. Yeah, so why don't I uh, talk about some of the, the craziest or most scared you've been on assignment somewhere? Mm, there have been many uh, assignments which are really scary, but uh, Libya takes the cake, uh, which was really, really, really uh, close brush with death almost. And when I was uh, when I was left behind uh, enemy lines uh, for for more than thirty hours, I was hiding, and and then was was. I got really close, brushed with death. So, so we used to we used to travel every morning from Benghazi to Frontline, which is which was ahead of Ajdabia, and and the Frontlines used to change every day because you know sometimes the rebels would uh, you know force uh, in into into Albrega, and sometimes the government forces will you know come back and take. Uh, Take some portion of Ajdabia. So you know, back and forth, it, it used to happen every every day. So this that day, the last point um, for journalists and everybody else was at a at a gas station uh, on the highway, uh, and all of a sudden, I saw I saw some rebels which I had seen earlier and uh, whom, whom recognized me. Uh, I I saw them going into the desert with rocket launchers. And coming, coming back. So uh, this time around, I asked, you know, I didn't, I didn't know Arabic language, and they didn't, uh, they didn't know English. So everything happened, you know, in sign language. And I asked them if I can, you know, join them. So, so they said okay. I mean, they agreed. So I, I sat on this pickup truck, a red pickup truck. So we got into the. Uh, into the desert, and they fired four or five fired missiles towards Gaddafi uh, position, forces positions, and and we and we came back, reloaded, and went again. And this time around, as soon as they fired first um, round, there was a volley of return fire, and and these guys who were who were not actually trained military were. Civilians, somewhere teachers, somewhere um, mechanics, and from all walks of life, life, they drove off, and I jumped back, uh, you know, on the pickup. So when they were driving, uh, while they were driving, they fired last round, and I was sitting just beneath that rocket launcher. So when they shot it, by the impact, I was thrown out of the truck, and 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 they kept driving away. I got up, and they didn't stop. I ran behind the truck. They didn't stop, and I could I could I could feel bullets whizzing through past my ear and hitting the sand and everything. I I said to myself, these are the last moments. I'm not going to, you know, come back. So, so I ran somehow. I managed to reach the checkpoint, and and everybody 
was gone. It was deserted. My own uh, car was not there. Everybody had left. So there was there was nowhere to go. I thought I can't run for for long. And I could see, you know, those forces were coming and they were shooting, continuously shooting was happening. And then I thought, where can I hide? And, and, and I decided to hide in the back of the gas station because, you know, usually at the back of the gas station, they used to have rooms for workers, toilets and all that. So I thought, let me go there. So I eventually went into one of this room who was kitchen. After two or three minutes, I could hear the forces searching for 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 the possible rebels, and they started searching every room in the back of the gas station. There were four rooms probably, and what they would do was open the door, throw a grenade, and and shoot in shoot the room. I mean, shoot inside the room just to make sure that if there is anybody he'll be killed instantly. So mine was fourth and, and I heard walk, them walking and they stopped right outside the, um, the kitchen where I was hiding. And, and they, they said something to each other and then they left. I was, I was like, now, now is the time to remember everything. And, and, and it, was, it was surreal. It was, it was really terrible thinking uh, that that they would throw a grenade and then fire inside. They wouldn't even know if they had killed somebody inside. But but luckily, I don't know what changed their mind. They stopped there and, and, and got back. And they stayed at the in front, you know, on the front of the gas station whole day. I was, I was cramped inside this kitchen and I could hear them talk whole day. The generator was running, which was, which was pumping fuel at the gas station, so that that was helping. That noise was kind of helping me move around in the kitchen. So in the evening, uh, there was a door from the gas station into the desert. So so I took that door and ran in, in pitch dark. There were few houses under construction, and thankfully the the doors to the house were open. I was, it was really crazy. Uh, I, it was all dark. I didn't know if there was any anyone inside. Apparently, nobody was living there. And, 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 and when I settled down, I had a small torch with me, with, which helped me in, in looking what's inside the room. So I found this mattress and two pillows in one of the rooms. And I put down my equipment and, and just sat. It was, it was something uh, which I don't know how to how to express. It was amazing feeling to s- sit on on that mattress. But you know, as soon as I settled down, there was a thirst which my throat was uh, totally dry. So I wanted to have some water. I couldn't find one. But then I thought. There might be some water lying outside in the trash or something. So I went out. There was a trash, and in the trash was a big one-liter water bottle. It was it was half full or half empty. 
So I took it inside and and starts drinking some water. And then I realized there was a mango, uh, small mango can, tetra pack can, this this big, on the shelf of one of the rooms. There was a straw inside, and I tasted a little bit, and it tasted good. So I had one sip of water and one sip of mango juice. You know, at around 10 or 11, I went to sleep, and I was having these nightmares. I woke up with a bang uh, from uh, from a NATO uh, um, aircraft, which was um, maybe on reconnaissance mission uh, to see where the the forces were. Fighter jets were going past. It happened up to seven in the morning, and then from seven, they started bombing. I couldn't see what they were hitting. But only I could see was smoke from from distant places. I could see from the windows where you know where all this was happening. So so eventually that day was spent uh, looking, keeping an eye on the forces. From one window you could have a view of highway, and on this other uh, side you could have could see the gas station where the forces were. In the evening, in the evening, a, a pickup truck came um, outside that house, and I thought, "That's it. Uh, they're going to catch me now." One of the guy from the pickup uh, came in the house. He didn't know I was there, so I thought I should not give him time to raise his gun to shoot. I should give him a surprise so that you know. So I was in the corridor, just bang in front of the door, main door. So as soon as he opened the door, I, I lifted my cameras and I told him I'm, I'm a journalist. So he was taken aback, totally. He was like, where the hell is this guy? I mean, who the hell is this? He asked me to come with a pickup truck. So I, while he was taking me to the pickup truck, I, I asked him if there was any water or anything to eat because I was hungry. I was feeling thirsty. More so, you know, I wanted to see what his reaction would be. So he gave a burger and a glass of a small um, bottle of water, which I drank, and he took me to the front of the gas station. And they were, he told me, you have to speak to the commander. Who are you? Who are you? So he didn't know any English, so he couldn't ask me anything. So once we were at the gas station and the commander came up, he, he was in series. So I thought, I'm busted, man. Busted, man. He's going to shoot me right there. And and. Uh, he told me, who are you and why were you hiding? And since when have you been in hiding? You know, I lied. I mean, I told him I'm with, you know, I was with uh, Gaddafi forces and yesterday this thing happened and, and I was, uh, you know, left behind. And he said, don't, don't lie. You are not with Gaddafi forces. I said, I said, no, no, I was. He said, don't lie. Tell me the truth. I was still thinking that he's from the Gaddafi forces. But as I was talking to him, I saw somebody uh, going up on on the minaret of the mosque, which was at the gas station, and raising a flag. I said, I said to myself, hold on, this can't be from Gaddafi. He's, he's raising a Libyan flag. He has to be a rebel. And then suddenly there was another guy who came 
towards me and he recognized me. He said, and he hugged me. He said, are you alive? alive? Yeah. And now tell me. I said, okay, look, I was with the rebels yesterday and this thing happened and I was, uh, you know, we were in the desert and we got, you know, fired on and, and they left me. <laughs> they, uh, so, so I was hiding in that, that house. He said, okay. Uh, and he had a small camera. He said, look, you have to uh, uh, give me a small interview that we saved you. So I was, I said what he, he asked me. And then you know, finally, when I realized they really were rebels and, and the NATO forces actually in the morning had, had attacked the Libyan forces uh, uh, out of Ejdabia. So the, the area was again under the control of rebels. That, that, was, uh, that was when uh, these rebels came back to that area. And then uh, they took me back to the hotel in Gazi. So when was uh, the, the, big, the big sigh of relief that like, okay, I'm going to be okay now? Uh, I think once we were in the car. It's pick up with five gunmen with me. But still, you thought maybe okay, maybe this won't end well, or the whole time you thought okay, I'm, no, no, I'm no, gonna be okay. No, 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 no. I mean, that time, uh, I was sure that they were going to take me to Benghazi hotel because you know the commander who under who was a banker actually told me that really people have been looking for you. People have been looking for you. There, there were quite a few journalists who were missing. And and some of uh, a lot of people were killed yesterday, and 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 we thought that you would be also being killed, but but thank God you're alive. We're going to take you back hotel where your colleagues are waiting, are waiting for you. And then that was crazy. But um, I mean, was was this just like a really bad day or bad luck, or every day was just crazy like that there and. You know, you saw these rebels and you just jumped on the back of the pickup truck. So, uh, yeah. yeah, like what 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 makes you decide that you're going to jump on the back of a yeah. pickup truck with some rebels and a missile, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah. See, uh, when we were hanging around the gas station, nothing was happening. So I thought, I mean, let me give it a try. I mean, because they were going and coming back and coming back. I thought, let me go with them for for one sorting and see uh, if I can get some pictures. You know, every journalist does that. You, know, you, 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 always, uh, you always take calculated risks. But the only, only thing which we didn't think through was these were not professional military. They have trainings, they have they back back up. They they know how to deal with situation. These were just you know ordinary ordinary people with guns and and artillery. That's what what uh, you know actually. Uh, that's why actually you know they couldn't resist uh, um, or the incoming fire. They didn't know how to. How to how to deal with that situation? They just ran off, which which no 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 army or no uh, uh, perhaps would do in in that 
you know, circumstances. But then this was was a mad war. Mad war. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I don't blame them. Uh, you know, if, if, I had, if I had I got a great picture, then everybody would be like, wow, how did you do that? You know, and then when things go wrong, then everybody say, yeah, you shouldn't have done that and all that. But, you know, you don't know unless you, you, you do. And, and we are in a profession which, which has its own, own, uh, you know, on set of uh, risks involved. So how do you how do you calculate those risks and talk about that? I was talking about that with my wife last night, actually, about uh, you know trying to answer or explain the the why. You know why why do this? You know somehow it's is because as journalists we 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 want you know people to know what's happening. It's not only because you know uh, we work with an organization and and we and we are asked to do something and we have to do no. It's not. It's you know we can always say no, but it's also because you know when you open a newspaper in the morning, you you see some some image which 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 makes you understand what's happening in in other part of the world. It's huge, uh, you know. Uh, I was I was watching James Foley film the other day, documentary, and and uh, the amount of uh, torture he, he he had gone through during his uh, when he was imprisoned uh, in 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 Iraq. Uh, I mean, not only him, many other journalists who were. Who were uh, you know arrested um, by the ISIS or, or whoever had arrested them or, or or detained them, tortured them. They were all, all you know every one of them um, as a journalist had had this responsibility to tell the world what's happening, and they were there because they had this passion to tell the stories of of people. Living under ISIS or living under any other regime, for that matter, uh, to tell their stories. If they weren't were not there, who would tell stories from Syria, from 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 Libya, from from Iraq? Who would from Afghanistan? Who would who would do that? So, so we sh we should really be thankful for those sacrifices, and. You know, I remember this South African freelancer who, who I met in, in Libya, and we spent a full day uh, together, uh, and we and we photographed each other. We 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 took videos of each other, and and he was killed in Libya just just maybe two or three days after we had met. And James actually in that film um, actually uh, he, he spoke about Anton a lot in that in that film. So it gets it gets really very uh, uh, emotional at, at times when you see your colleagues dying and being tortured. 
uh, and it has a toll on 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 everybody uh, for sure um like in, in that case is there um is there some way to uh like outside of your daily life your personal life and kind of separate it from work life you it's know, not like easy when, 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 when your daughter is with you you know what i mean like right now you mm -hmm. have to enjoy like the happy moments with your family when your daughter walks in right now right mm -hmm. but then in yeah. the same then on the other side like we're in a business where you see Either you're seeing the stuff all the time because you're in news and you're watching on TV, which is also totally different than being there, right? And like you're saying, you're losing friends and colleagues. And how do you how do you deal with that mentally? There, there used to be a time when when I would stop shooting uh, uh, momentarily uh, when when I you know would would see some some child die or something you know something. Forever. Then you know I would keep myself busy with the camera settings, aperture, shutter speed, and all that. I wouldn't you know think about that at that moment. But as soon as you are out of that situation, this thing gets accumulated, you know, in your brain, and over the period of time, it really impacts you. You know, but. Uh, uh, Sometimes you have to take medicine to to get those those nightmares out of uh, you know out of your system. Your family can be really really helpful in 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 uh, you know help you deal with the situation you are in. But but thankfully you know uh, I'm I'm no longer doing doing such such stuff. Um, I've not been able to uh, do that uh, for some time now. So, but I was when I was doing it, it was really hard to to uh, you know get back to the family and then you know do routine stuffs and all that. But it really it does uh, uh, affect you some way or the other. You can't be completely aloof from from what you witness, and when you come back, you can't separate these two. No, somewhere, somewhere, it's on your mind always. I remember, you know, whenever uh, when I got this World Press photo for for a picture which I shot in Kashmir, um, a sister hugging the body of. Uh, of her brother, so uh, you know during the WordPress um, festival, the award days, they used you know used to be parties you know in the evening. Everybody was you know kind of uh, uh, laughing and enjoying, but but I would, I was not there. I mean, how would I enjoy myself knowing that I'm there for a picture? A picture irony and misery and and pain i i couldn't enjoy myself so so you can't separate these things yeah I, i've heard uh about that like from a long time when i met uh amy vitali a mutual friend of ours mm -hmm. and she was talking to me a little bit about that too of like um the feeling of receiving 
awards over uh, some body of work that maybe is, is not really a happy moment in exactly. other people's life. But um, even when you come home from something like uh, Kashmir or Libya, is it, is it something different for, uh, I don't know, even family and friends that are outside of journalism, outside of news, to kind of know and understand where your, uh, where your mind is, or everyone can kind of relate somewhere? Uh, I think everybody, this is human, uh, you know, human nature, you know, everybody is affected and they know what's happening and, and nobody can be totally uh, out of sync with the reality. You know, because I, I, guess, I guess I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's interesting because especially from where, where you grew up, you know, in Kashmir, mm -hmm. you know, you have a lot of people in Kashmir who have seen daily yeah. life conflict, right? Which is maybe different than other colleagues where daily life is probably a bit more yeah peaceful and not much going on, you know what I mean? But I think I'm 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 happy that, that I took that decision from jumping from computers to to camera and, and it's not only me, it's I think it was destined, you know, how how I got my camera, how how I got my assignment, how I got my first job. A proper first job, it's it's it looks like a fairy tale to me, honestly. And my family has been very supportive. Um, they they were always very supportive and said, whatever you feel doing, we're with you. Please do. That's that's how I managed to shift from one one profession entirely to different. Which I never had thought, but only when I was made a human shield. That's how it started. It happened in Kashmir, and 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 I, I was I was a teenager, and and was I was coming uh, from a nearby mosque in my locality after evening prayers when when I was heading to an alleyway which le leads to my house. And I saw a group of border security force personnel um, coming from the opposite direction, and they got hold of me. And there was actually a, a blast uh, attack on a cinema, which what usually used to happen in Kashmir, whenever there was any attack from militants to you know on security force, the forces would go out and you know, on the rampage. They said you threw the grenade. On the on the on this on their camp, I told them, look, I was in the mosque straight right there, and I'm I'm coming home, which is right there. So they didn't listen to me. So they asked me to stand, uh, you know, sit on the mouth of that alleyway, where there was gunfire was coming from opposite direction, and 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 uh, but luckily, the firing stopped, and and I, they they had me detained for like four hours from like six in the evening to 9.30 or 10. And I was only let go when my uncle, who who, who, had, who had got stuck in the mosque, came after everything was calm. So he he luckily knew that the commander of the group and 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 I was let go. So um, next morning, 
I was packed off to Calcutta. My parents didn't want me there. So during during those moments, I was like, I wish I had a camera to to show what's what's happening. So how would you uh, give advice for somebody who wanted to to follow this path? to be a photojournalist, to be a journalist in any capacity in news, what advice would you give them? First of all, uh, it depends where you are from. Uh, it really it, it really matters. If you are somewhere where news is, uh, hard news is, is, uh, is in abundance, you may get job or assignments, but if you are somewhere where you don't have much of, uh, you know, anything going on, and it's hard to, you know, uh, get assignments there. But if you are, um, if you are thinking to travel to conflict zones and wars to to be able to start, that's not really a good idea because it's 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 really hard. And being a freelancer. Uh, and visiting these um, conflict areas without any security, safety, can really land you in a trouble. Uh, but before you do that, you you have to uh, you really have to uh, know what stories you will be doing and how you will be doing what you will do uh, be a good human being be truthful and 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 look at uh, the work of uh, others and learn from others learn from others mistakes also that's really important also and 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 work on long term projects because uh, Anyone can make a single photo. When you go to a, a photo editor, he will ask you a photo story or documentary uh, story if you have done, because that will really show who you are as a person, as a photographer, or as a journalist. Because uh, you can be lucky with one picture, but you can't be lucky with a story. So, so when you have a body of work, uh, photo essays, and and some single pictures, the the editor will come to know your potential what what you are capable of doing and 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 always when whenever you do a long term project or uh, uh, make sure you you treat your subjects with with care and love and and don't don't think that the subjects are just the subjects they are human beings you give them privacy and never cross the line uh, even if it is a bad situation or a conflict where you can just go in and take pictures, have some have some human decency, and 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 hard work always pays, uh, no matter how market looks like. Hard work never goes, uh, you know, waste. There would be people who would who would who would understand what you are doing, and and your pictures will translate to a hard work. Uh, cool, awesome, all tough. That's really cool. Thanks. Oh, always, always great to hear to hear your uh, 
sensible approach to all this. Um, so I'm, I'm trying something out where I want to just like ask a few rapid questions at the end. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, just the first thing that comes to your mind for the, uh, the best thing about this job. You don't have to sit uh, in an office for uh, hours and hours. You just go out and you know enjoy your life and have a camera with you and take pictures. There was a time when I used to feel that I'm being paid for my hobby. It's great. Yeah. So, so, so maybe maybe there's not an answer to the uh, the the worst the worst part of the, the the job or the business. Yeah. This uh, this is the best thing you can you know. And the, the worst is there a worst? I yeah. I mean, I just said uh, you know every every profession ha has this own set of risks involved and similarly journalism has its own risks uh, but then you know you have risks in every walk of life so just just go there even if you have to take risks take calculated risks and 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 you'll sail through Trust yourself. Trust. Trust your instincts. Okay, and then um, one one thing that you wish you you knew that you would tell your younger self about this line of work before you started. One thing you wish you knew. Maybe. No. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to say maybe be a freelance. But then no, no, I don't know. Some you know, being a freelance has its own 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 perks. But you know, yeah, if you have great contacts, and then being nothing uh, nothing like being a freelancer. And if you don't have contacts, and if you're scared about your your uh, security, your family, or you know. You don't, you don't want to keep thinking about money, then being a salaried is, is the best thing. That, you know, I would. But since, you know, I have, I have this, you know, I like traveling, actually off-road. I, I really want to do some, something with, with photography and off-road. I don't know. But, but being in a job is kind of holding me back. Yeah, what's what's going on with with your off-road trucks? I don't know. I met with an accident uh, a few months back, and my truck is gone. Oh no! And, yeah, it's it's been it's it's really bad. Jeez. Okay. So so need 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 some time to rebuild the fleet. Yes, and and because of this Corona and lockdown thing, I'm not able to yeah. get a new one. Yeah, for sure. It'll take some time. Yeah, I'm missing my truck. You know it, man. I know it's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe one day I'll see you up there in yeah Kashmir. Yeah, it's the good. mountains. Yeah, it's good. It's a good life there, man. It's clean, clean air. We don't have it here. You don't have it in Delhi either. Yeah. 
So cool, man. Well, thanks a lot. Um, thanks, Danny. Go return with your with your family and your lovely kids.